Hi and welcome back to Equity Tutors. So today's lesson is the second lesson on plant exchange which is part of the bigger exchange module. My previous lesson introduced some of the concepts um, around plant exchange and some of the structures such as the xylem and the phloem and today's lesson we're going to talk a bit more about some of the transport mechanisms in plants as well as some experiments that you need to know for your exams and also some adaptations that plants have to allow better exchange in different environments. So let's get started straight away. Just to mention here, it's a good idea to make sure you really understood the plant exchange lesson one content before you move on to this lesson because we're going to be building on that knowledge today. So if that's not fully cemented in your brain, make sure to go back re-watch the video or re-listen to the podcast and make sure that that's really in your brain before you move on to today's lesson. Okay, so the first thing we're going to talk about today is transpiration. So transpiration refers to the loss of water vapour from a plant into its environment by diffusion. And this is really important in the plant because this is how water moves in the plant. So the transpiration stream, which I will go into more detail on in a minute, refers to the movement of water from the roots where water enters into the plant to the point where it leaves the plant via the leaves. Water enters the leaf as a liquid through the xylem and then it diffuses out as water vapour through the stomata. So remember last lesson we looked at the structure of the angiosperm leaf and you will remember that the stomata are holes that are on the bottom of the leaf that are surrounded by the guard cells that can that control uh, the opening and closing of the stomata. I'm going to go into a little bit more detail on that in a minute as well. The loss of water by evaporation from the leaves reduces the water potential in the leaves and the water potential in the roots where the water enters into the plant is high and then because of this difference in water potential water is able to move up the plant via trans the transpiration stream. So the way that this is able to happen is due to some properties of water that Amelia taught you in the biological molecules module. So if you remember that water is cohesive and adhesive and because of this there, there is able to be a continuous stream of water up the plant from the roots to the leaves. There are some factors that increase the rate of transpiration so factors that affect the rate of diffusion will also affect the rate of transpiration for example temperature and air movement so the the higher the temperature the faster the rate of transpiration and also the more air movement there is the quicker the transpiration will be and two other factors that will affect transpiration is light. So if there's more light, there'll be the stomata will be open more to facilitate higher levels of photosynthesis. And because of this, there will be a higher loss of water via the stomata and therefore a higher rate of transpiration and also humidity. So if um, there is a higher humidity, then there will be a lower concentration gradient from inside the leaf to outside. So there will be a reduction in water loss and a reduction in the rate of transpiration. So I'm just going to now talk a bit more about the stomata. So 
I touched on this last lesson, but we're going to go into a bit more detail here and with specific reference to transpiration. So transpiration is mainly controlled by the guard cells that surround the stomata. And the guard cells open the stomata when they are turgid. So when they are full of water, they will be more turgid and this will keep the stomata open. But when they lose water, they become more flaccid and this closes the stomata. So when the stomata are open, there's a greater rate of transpiration and of gaseous exchange. So when they're open, more gas can be exchanged. So CO2 in and oxygen out. And also there is, as a byproduct of this, also loss of water. So when the stomata close, transpiration and gaseous exchange both decrease. In general, because the stomata allow gaseous exchange with CO2 coming in and oxygen coming out, they are normally open more during the day because that's when there is sunlight, which allows for the photosynthesis to happen. Okay, so now let's look a bit more at the transpiration stream specifically. So the transpiration stream refers to the movement of water within the plant, so from the roots to the leaves. So water molecules will evaporate from the surface of the mesophyll cells where the if you remember from last lesson, this is where most of the photosynthesis happens. And then the water will then move through the air spaces in the leaf and out through the stomata via diffusion. So remember, this is diffusion and not osmosis because there's no partially permeable membrane. This loss of water then will lower the water potential and the water will move in from neighbouring cells into the mesophyll that have just lost the water. Go over this again. The water will move out of the mesophyll cells via osmosis and it will then enter the air spaces in the leaf and then it will move out of the stomata via diffusion. So this is repeated all the way back to the xylem. So for each cell, the mesophyll cell will lose water and the cell next to it will give water to it to compensate for that and that will go all the way back to the xylem. And because of adhesion, so the fact that water molecules can form bonds with the walls of the xylem and that they also form hydrogen bonds with other water molecules which is called cohesion this means that the water is pulled up the xylem from and the water then moves from the roots into the xylem and into the leaf so you need to so you need to remember that water vapor diffuses out through the stomata and that it and that it evaporates from the mesophyll cells into the airspace in the leaves. So I'm going to go over this again just to make this clear and also link in something from the previous lesson. So, so water enters into the root via osmosis and then once it is within the root it can move via two pathways. It can move via the apoplastic or the symplastic pathway and remember that movement is blocked by the Kasparian strip so again if this doesn't make any sense go back to the previous lesson and then once it enters into the xylem vessel water is drawn up in the transpiration stream due to the cohesive and adhesive properties of water it's pulled up into the leaf where water moves into the mesophyll cells it then evaporates into the airspace in the leaf and then the water vapour moves via diffusion out of the stomata into the surrounding air. So hopefully that makes sense. 
what you've got to remember here is that there's a continuous stream of water that goes from the roots right up to the leaves where it is lost and this is just continually there's water continually lost and this is what continually drags water into the plant okie dokie okay so now let's look at translocation so Transpiration was looking at the xylem and the transport of water, but we're now going to look at translocation, which is looking at the phloem and the movement of assimilates within the water. So translocation within the phloem can be defined as the transport of assimilates from the source to the sink, and it requires energy. So I've just mentioned two words there that are really important so i've just mentioned two words there so source and sink and i'm going to go into a bit more about what those mean and we're then going to talk about the mass flow hypothesis and then the more modified version of this hypothesis which is the pressure flow gradient hypothesis for the source of assimilate so let's just talk about what assimilates are first so assimilates are things that are dissolved in the water so they include like sucrose, proteins, things like that, that the plant needs. So some sources can be the leaves and the stems of the plant. So this is where photosynthesis occurs and this produces glucose. And just as a side note here, it glucose within the plant is transported as sucrose as this has less of an osmotic effect on the plant. So it's better for transport than glucose. Another source could be storage organs. So this is like tubers, so potatoes, things like that. And also food stores in the seed, which are germinating. The way we can look at the source is that's where there is assimilates being produced. And then the sink is where the assimilates are required. So this could be several places so for example the merry stem because they're dividing so they need energy it could be roots that are growing or any part of the plant where the assimilates are being stored so um, in developing seeds or fruits and things like that so an important thing to remember with translocation and with with movement in the phloem is that assimilates can move up or down the phloem so the source in the sinks are not always in the same direction so you could be going from the leaf to the root or you could be going from a tuber to the stem so you could be going up or down so this is very different to the xylem where there's only one direction of movement so with the xylem you only go from the roots to the leaves but with the phloem you get movement in both directions and it's an active process that requires energy so the liquid that is moved that contains the assimilates we refer to as phloem sap so that's important to remember okay so i'm now going to talk about the initial mass flow hypothesis and then we'll talk about how this has been modified subsequently and what model we use now to describe the movement of assimilates in plants so the mass flow hypothesis stated that active transport of solutes into the phloem caused the phloem sap to become hypertonic so this meant that water would be drawn into the xylem via osmosis as there was a higher solute concentration inside the phloem so because water can't be compressed this movement of water into the phloem would cause the hydrostatic pressure to increase and the increase in hydrostatic pressure would force the phloem sap to move towards the area of lower pressure and they called this mass flow. So the phloem would transport solutes away from the source 
and subsequently that would mean it was moved towards the sink so that probably sounds a bit confusing so do go and have a look at the visuals to understand what's going on there so we can now have a look at the more modified hypothesis which is the hydrostatic pressure gradient what happens is that sucrose is loaded into the phloem and i'm going to talk about that a bit more in a minute um, at the source companion cells next to the phloem then load sucrose or any other assimilate into the phloem then water moves into the phloem from the xylem due to the lower water potential this causes the movement of water with the dissolved solutes down the hydrostatic pressure gradient in the sieve tubes through the phloem and then at the bottom once it's reached the sink there is a lower hydrostatic pressure water will move back into the xylem via osmosis companion cells will then unload the solute and the sucrose or whatever the assimilate is will reach the sink which could be anything it's important to remember here that the hydrostatic pressure gradient is dependent on water moving in and out of the xylem vessels via osmosis. Again, this probably sounds very confusing, so please do go have a look at the visuals to try and understand this a bit better. I'm also going to quickly go over the model that was used to, to show the mass flow hypothesis. And this model was set up by Ernst Munch in 1913, and what he had was two partially permeable membranes containing solutions with different concentration of ions. One was more concentrated than the other. And then these two membranes were placed in a chamber containing water and were connected via a passageway. So they were connected by a tube. So as the membranes were surrounded by water, the water moved in via osmosis into the, the membrane that contained the more concentrated solution which forced the solution towards the membrane containing the more dilute solution. And the way this worked was that water would move into the more concentrated solution, it would increase the hydrostatic pressure and force the solution into the tube and therefore into the second membrane that had the lower solute concentration. So this was how he came up with the mass flow hypothesis. Okay, so now I'm going to talk about how glucose is loaded into the phloem. So in plants, as I mentioned earlier, carbohydrates are generally transported as sucrose because it's an efficient energy store as it's a disaccharide and also it is non-reducing and therefore has no potential for reaction during its transportation. So it's important to say that the way that, that sucrose or any other assimilates travels into the sieve tube is not fully understood but it's thought that the they can move via the symplastic pathway or the apoplastic pathway so via the symplastic pathway that is a passive process as the sucrose moves via diffusion but by the apoplastic pathway which is through the cell walls this is an active process so we're now going to talk about how sucrose moves via the apoplastic pathway so if the sucrose is taking this pathway then modify companion cells which are called transfer cells pump hydrogen ions out of the cytoplasm via a proton pump and this pumps the hydrogen ions into the cell wall this requires atp because this is an active process so it's going against concentration gradient so it requires energy 
So then the large concentration of hydrogen ions in the cell wall of the companion cell then causes the hydrogen ions to move back into, so they want to then move down their concentration gradient back into the cytoplasm of the companion cells. As the hydrogen ions move back in, they go via a co-transporter protein. So you'll remember this from the introductory lesson on exchange. So whilst these co-transporters are transported to the hydrogen ions, the proteins also carry sucrose molecules into companion cells against the concentration gradient. So the companion cells utilize a proton pump to pump out hydrogen ions against the concentration gradient. And as the hydrogen ions move back into the cell down their concentration gradient, they bring with them sucrose. So once the sucrose is then in the companion cell, the molecules move into the sieve tube elements via plasmodesmata. The important thing to remember here is that if sucrose is moving via the apoplastic pathway, it utilizes proton pumps to move hydrogen ions out of the companion cells, and then they move back in via a co-transporter and they can bring in the sucrose with them. That's how it gets into the phloem. The, the assimilates then move via the phloem via the from the source to the sink as we just discussed and scientists think that the unloading is quite similar and that sucrose is actively transported out of the companion cells and then moves into the out of the phloem tissue via either the apoplastic or symplastic pathways and to maintain this concentration gradient in the sink tissue sucrose is then converted into another storage molecule such as starch so that that concentration gradient is maintained. Okay, I know all of that was a lot, so do take the time to go back over that and really try and understand what's going on there because there's a lot of words and a lot of different things happening. But you can see that a lot of these things are linking back to previous modules, so with the cohesion and adhesion from the biological molecules lessons, also the cell structure from the cells module, and also back to these co-transporter proteins that I spoke about in the introductory lesson to exchange. So really do make sure you've got all of that understood before you try and understand any of this more complex stuff. Okay, great. So now let's have a look at some experiments that you need to know about for your exams. So one thing that you need to know about is the potometer. So, so a potometer is a sealed environment which allows you to measure the rate of water uptake based on how far an air bubble moves over time. So you have to assemble this underwater and it needs to be sealed really tightly to keep it airtight. Any air that gets into the system would, will break the transpiration stream and will stop the pool. So the way that this works is you have a, a chute and you um, attach this to a, a tube that contains water and has a reservoir of water in it. This is then attached to a capillary tube that has an air bubble in it and has a volume scale and then there's an output of water. So as the leaves lose water via transpiration, they will suck water up from the capillary tube from the beaker of water and this will then move the air bubble further up the scale. Again, this will be much easier to understand if you go and have a look at the images for this. So it's important that you know that a potometer is can be used to measure the rate of transpiration and 
you need to know some facts about it such as it needs to be you need to be able to label the parts of it and also you need to be able to say that it must be assembled um, and sealed to keep it airtight otherwise it won't work the other experimental protocol you need to know about are tracer and ringing experiments so tracer and ringing experiments are used to investigate mass transport in plants and it's called this because you have to remove a ring of surface tissue from the stem of the plant but you leave the core intact which is what contains the xylem and the phloem so you remove a ring of tissue from the stem and because the in the stem if you remember from last week's lesson the phloem is located towards the outside and the xylem is in the middle so after you've ringed the plant, it can then be exposed to radioactive tracers um, so that you can then follow the direction and the rate of translocation. So a common thing to use here is carbon-14 CO2. So this will be absorbed by the leaves and then you can follow where the sucrose produced from photosynthesis moves within the plant. So the sucrose that is made if the plant's exposed to this CO2 will be radioactive and then you can see where it moves in the plant by detecting the radioactivity. Great, so the last thing for today's lesson is looking at some adaptations that plants have to live in different conditions. So I touched on this previously a little bit but I'm going to go into a bit more detail on it now. So xerophytic plants are plants that live in that are adapted to live in dry conditions and they have some adaptations that help conserve water. If we think about cacti and things like that, you will be able to imagine some of the things that that these plants do have. One adaptation is that they have fleshy succulent leaves, so this allows storage of water for times when there is low water availability. Another thing that can be done is that leaves are reduced um, and they're not these big flat structures, but they uh, are either spines or needles or they have curled leaves. And this reduces transpiration rate because there is a lower surface area. So, you know, if you think about some cacti, you know, they have spines. So this is a way to reduce the rate of transpiration. Another thing that can be done is that sometimes these plants have stomata that are closed during during the day and open in the dark. So this reduces so this reduces the water loss via the stomata. So another thing that they can have is they can have either sunken stomata or they can have or they can have fine hairs that cover the leaf. And this helps to trap moist air close to the leaf and this reduces the gradient so that there's less water loss via diffusion. Another thing is that they can have a thick is that they can have a thick waxy cuticle um, which can reduce water loss from the leaf as well. So sometimes you'll have to label some adaptations on um, diagrams. So remember, a plant is unlikely to have all of these adaptations, but it will have, but it might have several of these adaptations to make it better at surviving in a dry environment. Great. So, so I know that was an awful lot for today. So do take the time to go over that again. And if you do have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out and ask us. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can access additional content on our Patreon page by searching for Equity Tutors, where we have a second 30-minute lesson every week, plus monthly bonus content. 
You can also find us on most social media platforms. We will keep you updated on new content and you can find us there by searching for Equity Tutors UK. Please like, share, subscribe and comment wherever you are listening. And if you're enjoying, please leave a review. Bye.